0: Romans, why are you laughing? (laughs) Turn in your copy of the scriptures to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. Well, uh, I am glad to be able to launch us back into the book of Romans. Um, While I would never dare to describe our time in Romans as speedy, uh, I I know for a fact that it has definitely been rich, challenging, uh, encouraging. Uh, and I'm excited to get to, to dive back into it with you today. My name is Ryan Fultz. I, I am the director of High School Ministries. It was really cool to see our team uh, lead us in worship this morning. Um, it's, it's just a joy. Uh, it's multiple times in each service so far I would look up there and like my eyes would well up a little bit. It's just a joy to see our students serving our church family like that. Uh, We have said many times throughout the the book of Romans, as we've talked about it, about how rich and full uh, this letter of Paul is. It's a a theological treatise, per se, that has been instrumental in not only our lives personally, but throughout Christian history. Uh, It has affected radically the people of God. Our first sermon uh, from this series in the book of Romans was back in April of 2013. I looked it up. Um, but by God's grace and Lord willing, we hope to finish up the book of Romans by this summer. It'll be, uh, it'll be really, really cool when we can close that book and celebrate uh, just a great season of growing and changing through this particular uh, book of the Bible. Uh, but as we move forward, I would challenge you all to be praying with us that the, the final you know, five chapters of Romans would really affect our family, our church family, uh, well. It's a, an interesting turn that we'll talk about here in just a moment from 11 to 12. And really, the, the trajectory of the letter changes here. And so I hope that it is both encouraging and challenging for all of us. Uh, But to get us started this morning, I want to back up just a hair to 11.28, and I want to read from there through our text today, and then we'll pray. So 11, chapter 11 of Romans, uh, verse 28, we'll start there. Are we ready? Sweet. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of, of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. To him be glory forever. Amen. Then he moves on to say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for your word. Would you bless us through the reading of it? Would you encourage and challenge us as we go after it this morning? God, would you work in our hearts to build up our faith, to challenge us in our struggles and to find hope and help in the gospel. Uh, Jesus, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, amen. It's amazing to me how many of the kind of Popular verses in co- Christian culture can be found in the book of Romans. Um, they're just all over the place. And in fact, in a moment, we'll get to some of them. But today's patch- passage is no different. I've heard this passage growing up many, many times, whether it's at a, you know, a, a conference or a, a pastor preaching on this text. This is a popular go-to passage for Christians. You've probably heard it said many times, percent your bodies as a living sacrifice or be a living sacrifice or lay down your life as we sang here in this song but what does that really mean like what does that really mean is that is that just simply a a joyless self-denial of all the things we want i'll give you a little preview the answer to that question is no it's not a joyless self-denial what we're going to see here really in Romans twelve one and 2 is this is the hinge between chapters 1 through 11 and 12 through the end. It really is the hinge because Paul, Paul takes this book in a different direction following this passage. He's going to allow us to see why, how, and what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been given a job or a task to do that you don't have the desire? You don't have the understanding, nor do you have the tools to accomplish it? It's really frustrating. I don't really want to do this. I don't even know how to do this. And I don't even have the gifts or abilities or the resources to do what you're asking me to do. You ever felt like that? This is not one of those moments. What we see here is Paul showing us all of those pieces in this text. All of those pieces of not only what we're called to do and be, but where our motivation lies, and also where the tools lie to actually make these things happen by the grace of God. So when we are called to actually live radically, we can, we're given motivation, and we're given the tools to make it happen. So today I want to look at uh, three... what. Three life-changing truths, I'll just be honest with you. They have radically transformed my life. And I think if you'll let them sink in, if you'll sink your, your spiritual roots deeply into these truths that we'll find here in Scripture, it will transform your life. It will uh, help you to live out loud with joy, with integrity, with effectiveness, and with, uh, with hope. So let's go ahead and dive in. The first thing that I think we see in the scripture and I, and, I, and I want us to get our minds around is that we as Christians must look to the mercy of God as our ultimate motivation. i say that again. We, we must look to the mercy of God as our ultimate motivation. Paul says right here, he says, I appeal to you therefore. Now, Depending on your translation, it's going to look a little different, but in all the major translations that I looked at, every one of them uses this therefore. And Paul is the king of therefore moments. If you read any of Paul's writings, therefore is like his favorite word next to the gospel of Jesus, or he loves therefore moments. It's because Paul has built a ministry upon calling people to change on the basis of the gospel power within them. So he's always laying out here's who you were. Here's who you are, and here's who you can be through the blood of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to see here today is Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. That, that appeal to you uh, by the mercies of God could be in the because of or in light of. So Paul's not actually saying, I'm actually appealing to you. He's actually saying the mercies of God plead with you to live differently. When we think about this therefore moment, we need to make sure we understand that I've heard this text preached many times and rarely is it given proper context. It's given a, go be a living sacrifice for the Lord. Just do it. You can do it. But rarely have I heard the... How do I do that? Why do I do that? And Paul, and the Lord through Paul, wants us to see we can never divorce the life-changing living sacrifice through Christ from the mercy of God that we have experienced. So what I want to do is I want to actually, we're going to go back and we're going to do a kind of a highlight reel of the book of Romans. Because I think what Paul is actually doing is he's not saying just look at the last few verses in his therefore. Paul, this therefore is the biggest therefore in Romans. Because he's saying, look back to everything I've written to you already. One through eleven. I appeal to you based on the mercies of God that we see there to now go live differently. In fact, Don Carson in his commentary on uh, Romans, he he would title chapter one through 11 as the mercy of God in action. The mercy of God in action in the lives of believers. So let's go back to Romans one and I promise we're gonna fly through this. You gotta, gotta stay with me. Romans one, let's start in verse 18. I'm just gonna read 18. Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Right here, Paul from the beginning of Romans wants us to understand that unrighteousness will be punished, that The wrath of God is coming and it is right and it is just for rebellion against the king of the universe. He wants us to know this and he he doesn't let go of this. If you turn to Romans 2 verse 4 and 5, we see a continuation of this. It says, or do you presume on the riches of kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. It's the same idea that rebellion is earning for itself the wrath of God. Sin is earning for itself the wrath of God. All sinners deserve the wrath of God, but this leads us to the question, who in the world are these unrighteous people? Surely they're just the murderers and the rapists and all of these crazy, crazy, deeply sinning people. Surely it's them, right? we answer that question in Romans 3. If you go to 3, 9 and 11, he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written... None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands and no one seeks after God. Paul seems to be saying, actually, that's everyone. But it doesn't stop there. Actually, if you go to Romans 3, uh, 23, we kind of get this, one of those other coffee cup verses that that really is never going to make it on a coffee cup. Um, Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we see if we're paying any attention to the book of Romans, that the unrighteous have earned God's wrath. And who are they? It's all of us. Every single one of us. We're born in sin. We commit sin. We are the unrighteous and the rebellious. This is reality This is the spiritual condition of all of humanity. All fallen, all sinners deserving of God's wrath as we worship ourselves. That's a pretty picture, isn't it? But it is into this condemning reality that the mercy of God comes storming into the picture. Because the rest of that passage we just read, starting in verse 24, says, And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation and exchange by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. Of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is God's mercy in action in our lives. When we recognize all have sinned, but then we recognize the opportunity to trust in Christ for salvation is there. Let's keep reading. If you go to chapter 5, 18 through 21, we see some more fleshing out of this idea of all have sinned, but all can become right with Christ. Starting in 18, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous." Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the mercy of God in action. Romans 6.23, I had the privilege of preaching on this. I think it was back in like 2014, I think. Um, But In Romans 6.23, one of those kind of uh, well-known verses in Romans, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see the wrath of God for the sinner, but the grace for those under Christ. When sin is your master, death is your possession that we have rightfully earned. But... If God is our master and eternal life becomes our possession, that we've been given freely in Christ. That's Romans 6.23. That's mercy of God in action. These are the things, as we move to 12, we have to keep fresh on our mind. Well, let's keep going. Romans 8.37-39 through 39 is where we see this beautiful picture of the all-encompassing covenant love of God. It says now, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the mercy of God in action. And then we see in Romans 9, sorry, we are flying. I told you, I promised you we would. Romans 9, 22 through 24, we see a God who is redeeming a people. It says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even as whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. This is a beautiful picture that God is calling to himself a people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation. It's the mercy of God in action. And then we get to Romans 11, which we've already read. So I just want to highlight the very back end. This, Because Paul, even as he talks about the mercy of God, as Brad talked about last year, just breaks out in song, in worship. He says in 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. This, this is the context of Paul's instruction in Romans chapter 12. It's not just simply these couple of verses in 11. Paul is looking back to all of the book of Romans and making this appeal to us. It's the appeal based on the mercy of God. There's a little, uh, a little, a little Bible study that... Uh, that was really helpful for me as I was preparing. And one of the things that that it says, I think the quote's actually in your book. It's by uh, St. Helens Church. It reads like this. It says, "...all Christian living and ethics are ultimately rooted in a deep gratitude for what God has done for us. A true understanding of His mercy will inevitably bring about an acknowledgement of our sin since we know we deserve only His wrath. And it will give us an overwhelming thankfulness for what He has done for us through Christ." So, we have to, if we're gonna talk about Romans 12, 1 and 2, if we're gonna talk about a living sacrifice, we must not divorce it from the mercy of God of the, the rest of the book of Romans. The rest of the book of Romans is our motivation to live differently. We look back to the mercy of God. Uh, I still, every once in a while, work at the the Marriott over by the airport. And a couple of weekends ago, I had the privilege of uh, just going in for a quick breakfast, uh, worked a few hours. Um, but I had a, a coworker of mine who I've been praying for regularly. Uh, she asked me a question, uh, and I want to share with you a little bit of my response, because I think it's what I'm talking about. So she asked me, Uh, She brought up a particular struggle that happens regularly that I had to deal with regularly when I was working there full time. Um, She just brought it up and she said, Ryan, how did you survive? (laughs) How did you deal with this? And it was a really fun conversation because I did not answer with, well, I just have a hard work ethic and I just want to make sure I stand out. So I just grinned and And I I bore it. (laughs) I didn't do that. I didn't give another kind of weak answer like that. You know what I said? I said it's because of Christ's work inside of me that I was able to endure hard things. So I got to say, you know what? Christ has changed everything about me. So now I actually live in a way that uh, honors the Lord because I'm thankful for what he's done for me. So when I'm wronged or people say things about me or when something happens that's not fair, I can honestly say, the Lord helps you as you think about the gospel. You can honestly say, I can do this because of the mercy of God in my life. I can bear up under this. Because of the mercy of God in my life. So it was a great conversation that I got to share with her about the mercy of God in my life. In your job. In your workplace. Uh, But that was all I had to give her. Realize that. All I have is motivation that's gospel centered. If I try to give her any other answer other than that, number one, doesn't work. And number two would be a lie. My motivation comes from the mercy of God. So for all of your life, as we head into talking about sacrifice, you must understand and you must look to God's mercy for your motivation for all of life. We'll get specific. We'll talk about this some more. But I needed to spend this time with you because when I heard this verse growing up, it was literally just go and sacrifice. Lay everything down. But that's wrong and it's unbiblical to divorce that from the mercy of God I do because I am saved I change because he's working in me that is the mercy so when Paul says therefore I appeal to you by the mercy of God it's actually Paul is saying the mercy of God is compelling you to do this So when Christ redeems a life, he changes everything. God's mercy isn't just uh, about salvation, but it's displayed in the lives of believers uh, for the rest of their lives. So when Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, that is our motivation. But he doesn't stop there. Then he moves to the rest of the passage and says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And this is where we find our, our second truth. So number one, we need to look to the mercies of God as our motivation, as our ultimate motivation for the Christian life. But number two is all Christians, for any Christian, real worship only happens when we choose to daily to die to ourself. Let me say that again. Real worship only happens as you daily choose to die to yourself we're going to unpack that. But this is kind of the crux of this passage. He says, "Look to God's mercy and then go look like this." Real worship. So what what does this really mean? What does this really communicate to us as Christians? Well, we have to recognize that this idea of sacrifice was not a foreign concept to uh, the early church. In fact, they would have seen lo- lots of pagan religions practicing sacrifice, but also in, in Judaism, uh, they would regularly be practicing sacrifices on a, on a regular basis for atonement and for, um, uh, on a yearly basis for these big ceremonies. Uh, God accepted sacrifice as an act of worship and devotion to him. It didn't ultimately cleanse people from their sins. Christ came to do that. But it was definitely an act of worship and love and devotion practiced by his people. But when Jesus came, the game changed. He became the final sacrifice needed for all all people who would come to know him. No longer did they have to take a bull or a lamb or a dove or whatever. No longer did they have to bring these sacrifices because Jesus had come. The one sacrifice for all who would trust him. So then how, how should we understand this language of sacrifice? Well, I'm so glad that Paul lays it out for us. He actually gives us three descriptors of what this uh, sacrifice looks like. And the first one is simply this, living Living, a living sacrifice. Think about the Old Testament. When a ram was killed, it was dead. It couldn't re die. It couldn't jump on the altar again and do it again. It was dead. But this word living communicates to us that our sacrifice to the Lord, because of the joy of the, of the gospel in our lives, this sacrifice is daily, it's ongoing, it's regular as we lay down our life because of the mercy of God. We're gonna unpack this, just stay with me, but it is regular, it is daily, it is a living sacrifice. This is what he's calling us to be a part of. But then you keep going, he says, well, what kind of sacrifice? Well, it's a living one, but it's also holy It's a holy sacrifice set apart for righteousness. Not just set apart for something else, but towards righteousness and and to put God on display. And then we see this this word acceptable. This is the idea of well-pleasing. This kind of sacrifice is well-pleasing and honoring the Lord. An ongoing holy sacrifice is well-pleasing to the Lord. This is our spiritual act of worship. So what is God actually getting at here? We don't lay our physically, physical bodies on an altar and just every day do that. What, are, what is he talking about here? Well, this is where we get to, for a moment, redeem the word called worship. When I say worship, most often what, what many of us are going to think, are gonna be, it's going to be what we just did as we sang songs. Or as we got in our car, ch- cranked up the radio or our iPod or whatever, and listened to, to, to praise music, things that help us sing about the Lord. Is that worship? It is. It is a piece of worship. But that is not all of worship. If we read our Bibles, we see this idea that our lives are worship. That that everything we have and everything we are uh, is is to be laid down in acts of worship. That's what this text is talking about. When he says it's your spiritual worship, he's saying every time you lay your life down, that's worshiping me. That's bringing me glory. That's bringing me honor. You are daily sacrificing because of the mercy of God and putting me on display. In your work, in your school, with your friends, in your sports teams, as you're in your neighborhood, we can be that living sacrifice that displays honor and glory for the Lord. That is worship. It's not just singing, it's devotion of your entire life. That means that God actually wants your talents for the kingdom of God. That means God actually wants your time for the kingdom of God. That means he actually wants your finances for the kingdom of God. You name it, God wants it. And it's once again, it's not this begrudging, I've got to do this. It's because we've experienced the mercy of God. And it it compels us to want to lay our lives down because we know what we've received through the cross. If we don't have that, I've got no motivation. If we don't have that, if it's just simply be better, do better, I will give up. I promise you. So if I could just be real honest with you for one moment, because I'm not usually right. (laughs) There are days when I don't want to do this. There are days when I don't want to die to myself. I roll out of bed and there are days I do not want to serve my wife. There are days I roll out of bed and I do not want to take an intentional role in training my kids to love the Lord. There are days where I don't want to give away my money. Has, am I the only person who's ever want, like looked at how much we give and said, "You know what? I could get with that." Am I seriously? Am I really the only person? It's sinful and it's wrong, but I've done it. It's like, look at what I—man, I that's a new car. Or that's a—that's wrong. I don't always want to lay my life down for the gospel. But so what do we do in the moment where all we hear is sacrifice and we don't want to do it? That's why we look to the mercy of God. That's why when I roll out of bed and I'd rather do my own thing than love and serve my wife, I need to get on my knees and ask the Lord to help me remember what he has done in my life. That, Lord, you have saved me. I did not deserve your grace. I did not deserve your mercy. Let me love my wife fully to honor you. That's what this looks like. You, you're in your school and you've got an opportunity to speak up with somebody about Christ. In that moment, there's a cost. They, they may ridicule you. Somebody else might think you're stupid. Um, they, they might think you're wasting your life. But in that moment, look to the mercies Of God, all that He's done for you. And that living sacrifice becomes not as scary of a deal because you know what you have experienced. In those moments, I look to the mercy of God to find motivation to die to myself every day. So the mercy of God actually motivates me to serve my wife sacrificially. The the mercy of God actually motivates me to train my children biblically. The the mercy of God motivates me to live out loud, to share Christ without hesitation and without fear. I got a really encouraging text this week from one of my students. Uh, Just out of the blue, he texted me and he said... I just got to share Christ with somebody. It's the first time I've ever had a good conversation with an unbeliever about Christ. First time. And he was jazzed. (laughs) Like he was excited. He's texting me like, what scriptures do I take him to next? You know, what kinds of questions should I ask him? Like that's kind of the, the the idea of his text messages. I've watched this guy grow up. And I've watched this young man love the gospel. Fall more deeply in love with Jesus and what Christ has done for him. And now it's affecting his life. It was such a good moment for me to rejoice in. So I asked him, I said, what do you think he needs to hear? Because he was asking, me, what should I do? And he's like, I can't remember exactly. He said something like, he needs to know that he needs to know Jesus. He needs to know that he is a sinner and he needs salvation. Then keep talking, buddy. Keep talking. Keep loving and keep talking. This was a moment where the mercy of God in this young man's life compelled him to lay his life down in in what could be an awkward situation because he loved God. He said, "I'll be a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice right now." Praise the Lord. So let me ask you, does this even play any part into your life today? Do you actually see the mercy of God on your behalf compelling you to live sacrificially? Then the question really comes, how in the world do we do that? I mean, practically speaking, Ryan, that's great. You tell us to think about Jesus and then just do things. How do we actually do this? Well, thankfully the scripture doesn't end right where we stopped. If we see verse 2, we see this beautiful picture of transformation. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is perfect and good and acceptable. This brings us to the third truth that I just want you guys to to wrestle with. It's that you will, I promise you, you will never start living radically until you start thinking biblically. You'll never live with this sort of sacrifice until God's word changes what you think. I love this idea. D.A. Carson, actually, in his book, in his uh, commentary on Romans, I really, really uh, I love this, how he said it. It's in your, book, uh, your outline, excuse me. Christians are to adjust their new way of thinking about everything in accordance with the newness of their life in Christ. This reprogramming of the mind does not take place overnight, but is a, a lifelong process by which our way of thinking is to resemble more and more the way, of God, the way God wants us to think. What he says here is, it's a lifelong process. But we also have the tools through the Spirit and God's Word to to go after this. And that's the beauty of this piece of Scripture. This kind of transformation is the work of the Spirit as we sit under God's Word and as He changes what we think. If I could be real honest, once again... I'm afraid most Christians, um, I shouldn't say that way, many Christians are way more influenced by our entertainment culture than they are by God's word. They're way more influenced by the TV that we watch, the music that we listen to, the movies that we see. And it's mostly because they only snack on God's word every once in a while. How do we expect to think more like God when we fill our lives with world-like thinking? So I'm not saying no more movies, no more TV, no more music that doesn't say the word Jesus in a good way in it. (laughs) I'm not saying that. But what's your diet look like? When you sit here and hear God's word, are you realizing that you're actually hearing the word of God that's supposed to help you think differently? When you sit down in the morning and open up God's word, are you looking for ways that your, your thinking does not line up with God's thinking and you decide God's thinking wins? Always, every time. My dad, as I was growing up, would often say, we do what we do because we want what we want. And we want what we want because we think what we think. If we want to change our life, if we want to think differently, if we want to live differently differently, It starts up here. God's word transforming our thinking. Because as he changes what we think, it changes what we want and it changes how we live. That's what what we've built. uh, It's like one of the main concepts of our biblical counseling program here is we're trying to get everybody, including ourselves, to remember regularly that we have to think according to scripture because that will change how we act. If I wake up in the morning and I think uh, my wife and my kids, their main goal in life is just to get me what what I want, I'm gonna live differently. If I think that uh, when I get to... uh, here to my office, that I'm allowed to just waste my time and do whatever I want and not think about our students and our parents and our ministry. I'm going to live differently. What we think about everything in life influences our actions. And this is where, where Paul is appealing to us to be transformed through the Holy Spirit by his word in our thinking because that will change our living. New thinking leads to radical new living. So now let's put all these pieces together. We've got a few more minutes. So we talked about motivation. We talked about uh, worshiping God by dying to self. And now we're talking about the actual transformation comes through God's word in our life. So let's do some real practical examples. Let's talk about our time. This one is personal to me because I'm a selfish man. I'm selfish. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And if you're in my way, I would like you to move. I know you're laughing because you agree with, you struggle with that too, right? I want my time to be for me. I remember when I first got married, this idea of free time. (laughs) I just... I just remember having to realize, dude, there's no such thing. Your time is not your own. Your time belongs to the Lord. And now that you're married, it belongs to your wife. And now that I have kids, it belongs to my kids. And now that I've got a job, it belongs to my job. And all of that belongs to the Lord. See, God's word would speak into this situation. It would say, your time is not your own. So if you think it's your own, you're gonna live accordingly. But if you think it's God's, you might live a little differently. If I can be real specific, let's just talk about our, little ch- our, our church here. There are loads of ways that we need people to get plugged in and get serving. There are empty seats in our ministry where we need people to serve alongside of us. Cindy needs help in our children's ministry, she needs people who will commit to, to helping train up the next generation. To love God, to show them the gospel at three years old, at four years old, in second grade, even as newborns, as we love on them and care for them. We have loads of people serving, but we have loads of empty seats. And if you recognize that time is not your own and it's the Lord's, service is a natural way to lay your life down for the kingdom. What about our welcome ministry? Every day, Brian even talked about it, we have loads of new people coming in our doors and lots of them are looking for a church home. You know what a difference, a smiling face, uh, a hello, uh, can I help you with something goes? You know how far that goes? People are making decisions about our church as they walk in the door, about whether this is a welcoming place or not. And we want to be a welcoming place. We've got empty seats, that need people to fill them. And I I don't wanna just guilt you into this, because remember, we built this sermon from the beginning on the mercies of God. This is our natural worship as we experience the grace of God in our lives. Serving and plugging in. I'll make a shameless plug. I need people to invest in my students, not just to hang out and goof around, but those who wanna make disciples of the next generation. We need people to come alongside me and my team to do that. And it's going to take a sacrifice of time. It's going to take a sacrifice of energy. And there will be days that you don't want to be there. But there will be days you don't want to be anywhere else. This is a life of service to the Lord based on the mercy of God. As God changes how we think about our time and we realize it's his, not mine. What about our money? What about our money? It's a hard topic to talk about. It's one, you know, people don't like to come up in church because it just hurts. (laughs) Just getting poked. What if you recognize, as Scripture tells us, that everything in your wallet, everything in your bank account, everything in your home and your home is the Lord's? Well, see, you might say, but I don't have that much. I, I get it, but it's still all His. What if you recognize that? Well, I think it would, it would flow over into, into this generous, cheerful heart of giving that we hear about in Scripture. You'd be giving to your church. You would be finding people to support that are, that are missionaries. You would be, you just have money in your budget to bless people who need help. If the money that I have is not mine, if it's the Lord's, if we recognize that here, we start to change what we want. And then we start to change how we live. I think that flows out into a giving heart. Think about the t- the topics. Just let's let's start talking about topics of race, gender, sexuality, family. Can I ask you honestly, are you letting the world shape how you think or God's word shape how you think? Because the world is going to tell you all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> but we are called to be people of the word. Because as we're transformed by thinking differently, we treat things differently. With the mercy of God as our ultimate motivation, and sacrificial living, radical sacrificial living, as our goal, and God's Word and the Holy Spirit as the agent of change in our minds and in our lives, we have all we need to live out loud. We have all we need to lay it all down out of joy, out of gratefulness because of what Christ has done in my life, in your life. We can display his mercy in our homes. We can display his mercy on our campuses or in our schools. We can display God's mercy in our jobs. We can display God's mercy in our uh, neighborhoods. All of that is gonna come with, are you tied to the mercy of God and are you willing to lay it down? For the love of God. In a moment we're going to go ahead and sing uh, a song. uh, Actually the one we taught you guys this morning. Because I think coming out of Romans 12. Now hearing it as we sing about laying down our life. I really want us to just rejoice. That we are not our own. And that's a good thing. We belong to the Lord as Christians. And so before we sing, I'm going to give you guys a moment to to talk with the Lord. I love doing this. I always try to build this in. I want to give you a moment to talk to the Lord. So first, if you are not a believer, as we bow our heads in just a moment, I want you guys to think about the mercy of God. I believe and God's word testifies that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that we need God's mercy and God's grace. What's in the way? What don't you like? What is causing you to re- continue in rebellion? Jesus says, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, if you're a Christian, I've got two, two things I want you to use this, this, this couple of minutes for. Number one, remember and thank the Lord for the mercy of God in your life. Ask him to, to bring it about to your mind regularly because that will change what you think and live. And then number two, ask the Lord, where am I not sacrificing for you? What is it that I'm still holding tightly to? What do I not want to give up or let go? So bow your heads. Use this time to, to, to cry out to the Lord, to interact with the Lord.